0: For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong.
1: ILR is bridging the gap between labor and management.
0: ILR is an invitation to explore.
1: ILR is bringing business
0: and people together.
1: ILR is changing the workplace and the
0: world. On today's podcast, we'll have a conversation with the new dean of the School of Industrial and Labor Relations at Cornell University to learn about his background and his vision for the school's future. Alexander Colvin has been the interim dean at ILR since October of last year and was named dean of the school last month. Dean Colvin has an extensive history at Cornell, having been a faculty member since 2008. He served as associate dean since 2016, overseeing courses and curriculum, and shared ILR's diversity and inclusion council and the school's undergraduate admissions committee. He's helped lead ILR's strategic planning process and has been very involved in faculty hiring as the school prepares for anticipated retirements. Dean Colvin, welcome to the Union Strong podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: So before we hear about your vision for the school, let's explain ILR's relationship to Cornell, a private university, and its partnership with the State University of New York. How did the ILR school come about?
1: Sure. It's one of those uh, unique arrangements that people often don't uh, know about, But there are four colleges within Cornell that were established as part of our mission as the land-grant university for New York State, and ILR was one of those four. Uh, We opened our doors in 1945. We were established by a state statute that uh, decided to found a school to help uh, promote better labor management relations in the state of New York, and that's been central to the mission of ILR since our founding back in the 1940s.
0: So at the top of the program, I spoke a little bit about your history with the school. Can you tell me a little more about yourself, how you ended up at Cornell? Um, because as I understand it, you started on a path toward astronomy.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was definitely a roundabout uh, route to get me to Cornell. I, I actually I was born in England and grew up in Canada. Um, And when I was a kid, you know, I thought that I might be the next Carl Sagan when I grew up Uh, and I ended up doing my first degree in astronomy, uh, which was interesting. But, you know, I I just figured out over four years that that wasn't really where my passion was going to be. I wasn't going to be the next Carl Sagan. I, I really didn't know what to do. And so I did what a lot of uncertain college kids do and uh, applied to law school. And so I went to law school. And when I was at law school, that's when I figured out that labor and employment issues were what really interested me. I'd studied labor and employment law. And I decided to go on and make that my academic career. And so I – been in Canada up to that point. But I came down to uh, to Cornell in the 1990s to do a PhD in uh, labor relations. Um, I did my PhD there. And then I did my first academic job was down at Penn State University. Uh, I was on faculty there for nine years. And Then later, in 2008, the opportunity came up to come back to the ILR School, to back to Cornell, and it was really an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Uh, It's the the best place in the world for the field of labor relations, and so I jumped for the chance to come back.
0: Oh, absolutely. So in your role as interim dean, you oversaw the opening of ILR's new Manhattan headquarters on Lexington Avenue earlier this year.
1: Hello, everyone. It's great to see this uh, wonderful gathering of ILR Alumni, friends, community, all coming here together to celebrate the opening of our new space here five seventy Lexington I'll beyond
0: the new physical location, new City, what kind uh, of change uh, will that mean for the school?
1: It's partly an effort to really reinvigorate our uh, presence in New York City. Uh, this is something that goes right back to the early history of the school. We've always had a presence in New York City. Uh, obviously, it's an incredibly important place for the state. Um, it's an opportunity to work with uh, different organizations. The the various unions we work with um, have enormous presences in the city. And so our New York City uh, presence has been historically important for us, uh, but opening the new offices down there was, uh, is really a chance for us to reinvigorate that, to, to uh, uh, be thinking about the programs we're offering, making sure they're really vital and useful for, uh, for the workers of the state of New York.
0: Okay, and so you um, also published widely in academic journals and have produced research that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has quoted twice in her opinions in the last two years regarding mandatory arbitration. And I was wondering, was any of that related to the Janice v. Asme case?
1: Um, it's interesting. It, it, the cases I've quoted in did relate to mandatory arbitration. Uh, the best known was one called Epic Systems and it was really about uh, the question of um, uh, to what degree employers can require workers to sign arbitration agreements that essentially take away their right to go to court – uh, they can no longer bring class actions against the employer if the employer has done something wrong. Um, and uh, I was I was cited in the dissent. Uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg thought that employers shouldn't be able to do this. Unfortunately, in my view, the uh, majority uh, went the other way and said they should be able to impose these contracts. Uh, it's different from the Janus uh, decision, which dealt with the uh, question of dues uh, being in contracts. But there's an interesting contrast between these two decisions that, um, you know, I, I don't think is always uh, uh, realized. And that's that they both involve contracts. Um, so the the, one, the Epic Systems case that I was cited in is all about the employer making the employees, uh, if they want to get the job, have to sign this contract that takes away some of their rights. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Which we're uh, seeing uh, more and, in and that more, case,
1: right? Yeah. And the Supreme Court there is basically saying, well, it's a contract, so you know, we enforce contracts, you've gotta to- do what the contract says that's a basic principle of american law which you know i, I think there's got to be exceptions to that there are unfair contracts that violate rights and so those shouldn't be enforced but the odd thing is you know they turn around to the janus case and the majority of the supreme court there suddenly says well you know i'm um, sure there's this union contract that said you know along with the provisions that you get certain wages and benefits also says that there's some money that's automatically paid as dues to the union that represents the workers who are getting the benefits. But suddenly the Supreme Court turns around in that case, and the majority says, oh, no, well, that's not a contract that we're going to enforce. That's something that violates, you know, your right not to uh, be associated with the union. Um, So uh, to my mind, there's a real contradiction between the Supreme Court's Arguments about how they're going to treat contracts—they they're not uh, giving any value to the union contract, but they're giving this enormous value to the contract that an employer imposed imposed on non-union employees. Uh, so it's a really striking parallel. And I mean, you know, if you if you want to look at what the common thread is, it's that the employer interests are being protected in both these cases.
0: Right. Okay. Um, so now I. ILR does a lot of research and teaching that help people better understand inequality. Um, can you give some examples of how the school does this?
1: Yeah, this is something that really goes back through the uh, through the history of work at I IL, at I L R. It's always been an important concern for us. Um, you know, some of the uh, traditional research we've done in this area has been looking at things like the effects of unions on wages and how unions, by uh, uh, promoting better wages for employees, reduce inequality in society. Um, but over time, we've kind of looked across various um, additional dimensions. Uh, You know, one of our leading faculty members is Professor Francine Blau, who's probably the world's leading authority on gender wage uh, issues and the gender wage gap. Um, And that's a big part of inequality at work, um, is the fact that we know women uh, get paid less uh, and often for the same work. Uh, Something that's really been uh, uh, dramatically uh, brought to the public attention recently with uh, the uh, successes of the U.S. Women Soccer team, who have been uh, having their lawsuit uh, demanding equal pay, um, and so that's been you know one of the things that our school has been looking at. Uh, another example of an inequality issue that um, is a newer issue that we're looking at today is the, uh, the rights of immigrant workers. Uh, we've got a group of faculty who've been studying uh, the situations of immigrant workers and their ability or lack of ability often to enforce their employment right and labor rights. Um, that's something that affects inequality. Uh, you know, However you think about immigration, whatever you think the right number of uh, immigrants uh, to allow into the country are, um, you know, it's still the case that we'd want to be concerned that immigrant workers have their rights protected as much as uh, non-immigrant workers, um, because otherwise they're going to undercut the wages, right? That's a basic uh, relationship that uh, we'd want to be concerned about. Uh, uh, if employers are able to get away with paying below minimum wages to um immigrant workers, that's going to undercut the wages for all Americans. Um, so it's you know, an example of how inequality comes out of things that may not be obvious at first glance, but our research is showing um, how inequality uh, uh, is uh, produced in our society.
0: So um, as far as your vision for the school, your leadership comes at an interesting time for the future of workers when we're tackling issues, including the gig economy, automation, and artificial intelligence. How will the school address these emerging work environments? For, I, don't, I don't know what else to refer to them as.
1: Yeah, and I think that is a good way to talk about them. They're part of the work environment today. Uh, if you think about how work's changed, this is one of the central ways it's changed, that uh, having technology, having apps manage our work is something that we might not have thought about you know, 15 years or 10 years ago, but now is, is a routine thing for lots of employees. And that's something that we're paying more and more attention to. Uh, We're having uh, researchers going out, finding out what's going on in the gig economy. Uh, My most recent PhD student to graduate uh, did his dissertation looking at conflict uh, between rideshare drivers and companies like Uber and Lyft and thinking about how it is that those Workers can try and protect their interests in uh, a very different kind of employment setting from uh, what we're used to traditionally. Um, This is something that uh, we've been uh, uh, doing a lot of work on. Uh, We had the recent uh, report that we did um, working with the state AFL-CIO on the gig economy. Um, And that's, I think, a really important contribution to try and understand what's going on with the gig economy in the state. Another area that we're working on uh, in relation to uh, to this issue of technology and work is we've got a faculty member, uh, Professor Ifoma Junwa, who's been studying the use of algorithms to manage uh, work. So decisions about who gets hired, what uh, schedules you work, um, now are increasingly managed by mathematical algorithms run through computers. Uh, so it's a computer deciding whether your application gets put forward for a job interview can also decide uh, what hours you're scheduled. That's kind of And that can be troublesome. Yeah. Uh, that can produce inequalities uh, depending on how these algorithms work.
0: That's very interesting. Um, so before we wrap up, I also wanted to make sure that our listeners know about the Worker Institute at ILR. Our president, Mario Salento, is on the advisory council and the New York State AFL-CIO Cornell Leadership Institute. This is a program that began in 2001 to essentially develop union leaders here in New York State. Can you talk about the importance of this program and the role of the Worker Institute?
1: Sure. This is a really important program for us. Uh, The Work Institute was something that we founded a few years ago to really put our flag down, uh, showing our commitment to the state labor movement and to workers in New York State. Uh, The Work Institute does a range of activities uh, supporting the interests of workers and supporting the labor movement within New York State. And that's been a really important constituency for ILR that we serve. That's part of our mission. Um, And one of the most important programs we run is the uh, Union Leadership Institute. Uh, This is how we go about helping to train future generations of union leaders um, in the state. Um, And that really goes to the core of what it means to be the land-grant university for New York State and to be a college that was founded with the mission of promoting better labor management relations, uh, training and educating union leaders and preparing the union uh, leadership for the future um, really is central to what we do. It's at the core of our mission. So that's, uh, that's an incredibly important program for us.
0: Well, Dean Colvin, I want to say thank you very much for agreeing to come on the program with us, and congratulations on being named Dean of ILR. We wish you much success.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Joining me now on the program is our digital director, Kevin Einsman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. So one of the things we just heard Dean Colvin talk about was the New York State AFL-CIO Cornell Leadership Institute. And I know you're a recent graduate of that program.
2: Class of 2016. I, I will say the best class that ever of, came out. Well, of you
0: course. Know. So um, what was what would you say was the biggest takeaway from that? What, what did you learn that you would say to encourage someone to, to try to get into that program?
2: I'd say the biggest takeaway is, you know, it's a year long program, uh, you know, five different weekend sessions that you're spending with uh, people from the building trades, from the public sector, from the private sector, from community groups. And they're all, uh, you know, leaders that are that are aspiring to get more information, learn new skills and doing it together. And so really the, the biggest takeaway is. Uh, You know, that it's not just you and it's not just the the skills you're learning, but it's the connections and the and the working together, Mm -hmm. um, you know, part of it. A lot of my classmates that that were in the 2016 uh, class, we still talk on a regular basis.
0: That's great.
2: Uh, You know, we work with each other on issues if there's Mm -hmm. something coming up you know, we help organize members uh, behind it. So it's really uh, the camaraderie and then the skills that you learn in the class with the, the instructors that are fantastic. And they bring in specialists from all different unions to give you background on specific subjects and areas. And uh, it, it's really an important program. And I think it's it's been one of the most beneficial things that I've done to further my own, you know, knowledge of labor movement and how I can help working people.
0: That's good to hear. So we'll include a link uh, for more information on that program and our program notes. And then also um, we want to include a link to um, something else the Dean mentioned, a report on the gig economy, which was written by the Worker Institute at Cornell University's ILR School and underwritten by us, the New York State AFL-CIO. So if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, the gig economy, the platforms, those different platform apps and and what's going on with that and what we're doing, we'll include a link on there as well.
2: Yep, well have it all on our website
0: very good so until next time stay union stay strong